So today I have the honor of continuing our series on making room. And today I've entitled the message, Make Room for Joy. Make Room for Joy. In a precarious uh, passage where you, one would not say, man, I see joy written all over that. But with a closer look, there is so much opportunity in this scripture. So before uh, we jump into Luke 24, verse 14, I just want to set it up. So we've got women coming to to basically bring spices to Jesus in the tomb, and they discover he is not there. They run into angels who tell them he is risen. So of course they run and they tell their brothers, hey, Jesus isn't here. Some do not believe them, they doubt, and this is where we pick up this story. In fact, there are two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and this word Emmaus actually translated means hot spring which I find interesting because that is literally what happens to their hearts. They become, their hearts burn within them. And so we're going to jump into this text and see what the Lord has to say to us today. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that when we open your word, it is not mere religious activity. God, but your word begins to read us when we come with eyes of faith and open hearts to hear and to receive what you would have for us today. God, I thank you that no one would go home hungry, that you would feed each person today, God, in a unique way. God, would you divide this word a thousand different ways, God, and it would speak exactly to their heart right where they need it. Speak to the encouragement that they need today. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, come on, 1115, come on. All right. We're going to read with me in Luke 24, 14 through 29. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? What things, he said, about Jesus of Nazareth? They replied, he was a prophet. Underline that, he was a prophet. Powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our, our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped, go ahead and underline that too in your mind. We had hoped that he was the one who was gonna redeem Israel. And what is more? It is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. You can underline that just because it's really fun. Some of our women amazed us. Some of you guys will catch on to that in a second. Where was I? I okay, yes, Lord, I forgive me. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said, he is alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he was going to go further. But they urged him, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Have you ever been discouraged? Come on, thank you for the one or two honest people in this room. 
Discouragement is the place where you've had multiple disappointments. This is Christina's version. And you've actually probably not really dealt with all of them. And now they've wedged and settled into your heart in the form of doubt. And you notice here that the disciples say he was a prophet. He was a good prophet. Some believe that today, that that's all Jesus was. They also say, I had hoped, we had hoped he was going to be the king. We thought he was going to redeem Israel the way that we think he should. He's going to come in a crown and rule with a golden scepter. And yet God chose a crown of thorns, nails, and a road of suffering. Sounds so exciting, doesn't it? The way that a king should come. But they're dealing with disappointment because they thought that Jesus would show up in a way that didn't look like this. And in fact, if we're going to make room for joy that is not contingent upon our circumstances or our situations in discouraging times, when our heart is disappointed and we are discouraged, we are going to have to invite him in. And for all my note takers, that is point one. Let me be clear. Invite him into the disappointment. In fact, we see Cleopas was actually believed to be a relative. So clearly he had seen Jesus. He'd probably seen lots of miracles. He'd seen this child is different. And yet here he is saying, man, I thought he was who he, who he said he was, but maybe not. Maybe not. And here's what I've come to find out. Sometimes you don't even know that you're discouraged until you hear the words coming out of your mouth. Luke 6.45 actually tells us that out of the mouth, or out of, out of our heart, the mouth speaks what's actually happening in our hearts. And so sometimes you don't even know you're discouraged until you're like, wait, but wait a minute. What are these words coming out of my mouth? Have I lost hope? in this situation or this circumstance. And some of you walked in this morning with relationship disappointment, and maybe it's even settled in discouragement because the relationship hasn't changed, the circumstances haven't changed, and you're still dealing with the same old stuff. Same old stuff, maybe it's just me. Perhaps you've had hard times financially, and you're like, man, can I get a break? Can I just have that emergency fund where I want it again, God? I'm disappointed. I'm discouraged. It happened time and time, and you just keep seeing your emergency fund go down. Perhaps you're feeling discouraged because you have dreams and desires, maybe for higher education, maybe for stepping out and doing that business, or maybe for that career ladder step that just hasn't presented itself yet. And so discouragement, you thought it would happen when? You thought it would happen then? You thought it would happen then? but it didn't. And so now you find your heart discouraged. You know, right before Joshua in the Old Testament led the people into the promised land, God spoke to him. And he reminded Joshua, be strong and courageous. Some of you know this by heart. You can say it with me just to make sure everyone's awake. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go, which means God is with us in our discouragement. Even when we might not even be fun to be around. Am I the only one has not been fun to be around at times? Come on. Thank thank you for that. It's going to be fun if you guys talk back to me. Just saying. It's going to be a long 30 minutes if not. 
I have found that when God's getting ready to move you into new territory, in this case, it was physical territory for Joshua, but for us, it's often um, metaphorical, right? Either spiritual territory or maybe a new job. Maybe, maybe you're getting ready to say yes, and I do. Maybe it's time to have kids. Maybe it's time to make the career shift. Anytime we get ready to take some territory, you better believe you will face off with giants called lies right at the gate of disappointment before you enter the promised land. I promise you that. Because the enemy does not want you moving forward into all that God has for you. In fact, the author of James actually gives us a framework for what to do when we find our hearts discouraged. In James chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of many kinds. Aren't you so glad you came to church this morning? Count it all joy. Is this guy crazy? You want me to be joyful when circumstances and trials happen? Some are completely out of your control. Some you actually caused because of your own poor decisions. Can I tell you in that place, often our natural response is to withdraw out of shame that we missed the mark or that, man, God, it hurts too bad. I can't talk to you right now. Can I tell you that it is in our weakness that God can be strong, but we have to be willing to invite him into these places to say, God, will you help me here? Will you encourage my heart? Will you give me foresight so that I can have the joy that you say is possible in circumstances that are not joyful? Can I tell you the world around us needs some people of God to show up in every aspect of life and work and society and say, I know there is recession. I know that there are wars happening around the world. I know it's overwhelming, but I know that my God will help us through it. Can I tell you the world is desperate, church, for us to rise and to to begin to move forward into the new territories that God is giving you, but it's gonna take a mind shift. It's gonna take a different perspective. And for me, I don't know about you, I can, I'm pretty gritty. Like I can handle hard stuff, but if I don't know the why, I have a really hard time. Like really hard time. And let me just help you out. Jesus doesn't always have to tell you why. The exact specifics that you want. But what he does give us is found in James 3 and 4. Right after he says, count it all joy. (laughs) Count it all joy. He says, for know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Turn to your neighbor and say, you will lack nothing if you don't give up. What if God set you up in this house this morning to walk in here, to hear the spirit of the Lord tell you, number one, you are not alone. Number two, you will lack nothing if you don't give up. If you'll continue to seek God and invite him in when you don't want to in your flesh, you will see the glory of the Lord in your life. 
Psychology Today published an article. It's called Three Keys to Overcoming Disappointment and Discouragement. The first thing that they discovered in this article is actually that the meaning that you give disappointment actually affects how you feel. Shocker, right? God, God is also teaching us that if we'll reframe the pain, and, I, and there's legitimate pain. There's legitimate disappointment. There is not one person in this room, and if you've never had a disappointment, please come see me after service. There is not one person exempt from this. That in discouragement and in this place, we have to decide to change our minds, to say, God, I don't feel it, right? Because we know that decisions lead and feelings follow. I feel like we say that at least once a month here at Catalyst. <laughs> that we're going to decide, God, I'm going I'm to invite you into my pain. I'm going to invite you into my emotions in this situation. I'm going to invite you in. And then I'm also going to say, God, help me to see the joy. Help me to reframe. Help me to see this differently. Number two was that we must refuse to personalize the disappointment. That's why you came to church this morning. I need everybody to look around this room, and I'm going to ask a question, and then I want you to answer yes or no with a nod of the head. Are you ready? Do you have some trials and disappointments in your life? Okay, you are not alone. There's your encouragement. You ready? That was supposed to be funnier than it was, for sure. Um, we also have to understand that disappointment isn't inherently bad. If we see disappointment and discouragement as inherently bad, then of course, we're gonna have a hard time finding joy. Rather, we might see it as an opportunity and growth. And we can see it, okay, God, you're giving me an opportunity to see you from a different angle that I've not seen you before. Now that's hard stuff. That is way easier to preach than to actually walk out when no one, when this room is not here saying, yep, me too. Me too. It's much harder to walk out in private. But I want to give you some practical handles around how to invite him in. That's wonderful. How do I do that? Number one, we simply need to talk to him. That is called prayer. So for those of you who might be scared about prayer, <laughs> I just want to like simplify it for you. Talk to him. It's interesting to me how these guys are already walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus is already with them, but they just don't see it. <laughs> and oftentimes that's how discouragement and disappointment work is that we just don't see him in it because it doesn't feel good, right? How could this be? How could God be with me in pain and suffering? And we don't have a good theology around that. But the truth is, how many would admit that some of the most painful and difficult, disappointing situations in your life have been your greatest teachers? You won't forget that. <laughs> Nobody signs up for it. It costs too much. But can I tell you, when you walk through the fire and you come out not smelling like smoke, that is your testimony. That, you might have looked ugly crying face through it, but God be the glory. This was why Jesus had to choose the crown of thorns in the nail not the chariot and the golden signet ring. This is why in likeness we follow our servant king. And we are, we are image bearers in the earth. We reflect who he is. And it is impossible unless he's alive. Unless he's alive in me, I cannot do it in my strength. And neither can you. Neither can you. It's a trap here when we 
invite in disappointment I, I there is a place in which if we don't go backwards we can't go forward so let me explain this in these places of disappointment when you find yourself man i think i'm discouraged it's important that you take the time to figure out what am i disappointed about and in that place you have to ask god some questions can we get curious he loves conversation by the way because he's telling these guys like, well, what happened? Well, he's the main character. Why in the world would he need them to reaccount what happened in Jerusalem when he was the main character, right? He's inviting them into conversation, into communication because all the husbands in the room know that without good communication, it's not a great relationship. Can I get an amen from a few honest men in the room? <laughs> it's a relationship. It's communication. And you have to ask yourself, God, in this place of disappointment, have I believed a lie about you, about myself, or about this circumstance? Because remember, even psychology today says how you see the situation is actually your feelings are going to follow that. So if I'm believing a lie, then my feelings will follow. I'm not saying you won't have feelings. There are difficult things. What I am saying is if we can catch the heart of God on the matter it tends to get our head up from despair. It's important that you go back to these disappointment places because if you don't, what's going to happen is disappointment. This is a tactic of the enemy and I want to expose it today. Are you, if you don't go on the offense, you'll be playing defense for the rest of your life. God is calling us church into an offensive position. Now hear what I, this is what I mean by this is when I when I begin to feel discouraged, I'm going to offensively say, God, this disappointment right here, where were you in it? God, is there a lie I'm believing about you or myself in this place? And guess what? If I find one, I'm going to rip it out just like I went and pulled some weed yesterday in my yard. Because those, those suckers come back. Can I say that? They come back. They're so annoying. You have to like keep pulling them out. Keep pulling them out so that growth can come. But if you don't, they're going, to, they're going to take over the garden of your heart. It's going to cloud your judgment. And before you know it, you're off course, settling less than God's best for your life. One of the things I've found to be really helpful in this, now I know there's some of you who are probably going to, you're not going to roll your eyes, but you might in your heart when I say this, because I know some of you are not journalers. However, however, for those who are, you're going to love it. Sometimes it helps me to write them down. God, I'm disappointed about blank. Once you've done it, you're able to start asking those questions. There's something about those lies staring back at you that you're like, I, that, I believe that? Ouch. That's in my heart. I know that's not your best. I know that's not what you think of this person. I know that that's not the truth, God. And then you're able to say, God, I break agreement with that lie. God, what is your truth? What is your truth? You're going to find it in scripture. You're going to listen and you're going to learn. Man, we've got faith community uh, groups. We have faith in life courses. We want to equip you to hear God's voice because you do. You just might not recognize it yet. So that you can begin to replace and you can rinse and repeat over and over and over and over again. Because guess what? None of us have arrived, church. And we won't until we see him face to face. 
We gotta keep rinsing and repeating. My poor children are gonna have boxes of journals that they're gonna be like, what, what do we do with this, really, actually? Because this has been my life on pages. <laughs> and I'll explain that a little bit more. If you're not a journaler and you can't read your writing like my husband, he's like, what good does it do? I can't even read it. I'm like, eh, eh. You know, so he types it out. He puts it in his memo. He puts it in his phone. Whatever you gotta do, you gotta see it staring back at you. Another thing you need to do is you need to process with a friend. You need to take your mask off. I talk to too many people who are just lonely and they're wondering why they're discouraged and lonely inside because they've never taken the mask off or told anyone anything vulnerable ever. You have to, it's a part of the healing process. James 1.5, confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. You gotta tell a friend, I took a walk just last week. Can I tell you what it felt like? Taking bricks off my chest. I texted with a friend this week who gave me the encouragement that I needed to keep moving forward. Doesn't have to be long conversations. I don't have time for that. I'm a busy mom or I got work schedules. You better make time for it because it's your lifeline. It's a lifeline. Yes, you and Jesus, but you, Jesus, and a few friends, please, please. Read the word of God every day. We feed this temple three times and some snacks. We gotta eat the word, he's the bread of life. We gotta eat it. We've got to put it inside of us because then when I'm in my journal and I hear a lie, well, you're not good enough. Um, that does not sound like Jesus. Why do I know that? Because the word of God tells me that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are his works. See how that works? And then you got to fight. I talk about all the time. I didn't bring my sword this week, but the word is a sword. I don't think so. Chop the lies, pull the weeds, whatever works for you, do it. Nobody can do this for you. And I used to pray this prayer. God, please. This is in my innocence. God, please, 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 Lord. Don't let me leave the planet until everything that you intended when you formed me in my mother's womb comes to pass. The greatest disappointment of my life would be a tombstone that said she, she didn't live it all out. Now, I'm not saying what I have in my mind, but what God had in mind. Because there are many of us who have plans that think it's actually for us, but it's actually for the next generation. But we're the carriers, and guess what? It doesn't come here unless it comes through us. We do our part. God has plans for you, yes. Some of them, you're accurate, you're right on. Some of them, they're gonna look totally different than what you had in mind. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? It's in this place, it's in this place where we can begin to deal with some of those lies because if you don't identify the lies, I can tell you right now, I am a living testimony. By the way, that is what our lives are called to be living testimonies right where you're at. You don't have to have a microphone on a Sunday to be a living testimony. You can do it at your dinner table. You can do it in your neighborhood. You can do it at the school meeting. You can do it in the boardroom. And we're going to talk about how to do that in a way that's not beating people over the head with a Bible. Please don't do that. But it's in that place. I would not be standing here as a mother, as a wife, doing what I'm doing had I not identified these lies and ripped them out. Because if not, it would have stolen my, my destiny and who God's called me to be. And guess what? The enemy's not a respecter person. He's coming after you too. 
And he has been. If you'll just look over your shoulder, he has been. Don't let him win anymore. It is time today. Hear the clarion call. Get on the offense. We'll give you the tools and go for it so you can become everything. My prayer has now become, God, yes, I still want to live out everything that you have for me. I want it for my kids. I want it for my grandkids. I want it for my great-grandkids. I want it for you, Catalyst, because there are solutions to the world's problems living inside of you. Inside of you, come on, that deserves an amen. Do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe it? I have a challenge. What area of discouragement does God want to help you reframe today? Where do you need to make a great exchange for joy in the midst of hard situations and circumstances? Which leads me to point two, recognize God at work. Recognize him. If you want to experience joy, we have to invite him in so that we can recognize what he's already doing. Luke 24, 30 through 32. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. Now you recognize, he only recognized them after he had invited them in and they had some intimate communion. That's important. But then we see their eyes were opened. And this word opened is actually translated in the Greek to mean explained or interpreted. Now I don't know about you, but there's a lot of knowledge out there. But knowledge, understanding, and application can be different. They're not all, things are not created equal. <laughs> And the real power is when they collide. And that is what we see in this moment. We see that these men can see, wow, he's been with us all this time and I didn't recognize him. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What does this mean? Before we have Christ dwelling in our heart, you can't always detect or recognize the activity of God. But man, when he lives on the inside of us and we're attuned and we're weeding that garden, you can see a lot more clear. <laughs> you can see, God, wow, you're working here. I don't know exactly what you're doing, but I sense it. I see little glimpses of it. I see evidence. I see some fruit. You're not done yet, but I see you're here. In fact, have you ever realized that God was only in something after the fact? Do you have any honest people in the room? You're like, oh, that's what you're doing. Fantastic. Some of you have been praying. You feel like some of the circumstances, situations you found yourself in, you were like, get behind me, Satan. This feels like the pit of hell. Can I say that? Y'all go to that? This is 11, this is 1115. Come on. But actually... God was working all things together for your good. And he was growing you on the inside in the process. Aren't you glad? In fact, you look back on those situations, that relationship, and you're like, God, he broke my heart. She broke my heart. It wasn't until afterwards that you saw, wow, you're doing something in that person. And I have discovered who I am and who I'm not. 
you look back and realize, man, God, that, that job was terrible. That was painful, God. Perhaps he was working and putting things on the inside of you for what you're doing now, what you will do. You realize that God is actually working behind the scenes when you take a step back. And that is wise and it is very human. But may I put this alternative in front of you today? Perhaps God is actually asking us not to be people just of hindsight, but to put us on the offense for foresight. Because God is doing a new thing, church. No one else has lived in our day, at our time, exactly in the circumstances that we have, and you are here on the planet for such a time as this. So perhaps that circumstance and situation has got you so discouraged. If you invite him in, and you got to ask for eyes to see. God, would you help me see what you're doing in this situation? Because I want foresight for what's ahead. Because again, going back to, I can grit if I know the why. <laughs> Here's the why. He loves you so much. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. There's got to be good in this situation. Because you're living on the inside of me and you're a good, good father. And I know that I know that I know that you're here with me. So where are you? What are you doing? Where are you? I want to partner with you. It says that their hearts burned within them. This refers to kind of an emotional response, a strong emotional response. Now, some would say, well, Jesus is sitting in front of me in the flesh. Would your hearts not burn within you? He is. <laughs> he is. We take him home every day. He's at our dinner tables. He's in the conversation with our spouses, with our roommates, in the office, in the boardroom. God, where are you? I know you're here. Open my eyes that I can see where you're working and I can join you. Is that, an ex that is an exciting invitation, church. But it's an invitation, and he's a gentleman. He's walking along the road with them, and he says, hey, tell me about what's going on. He could have showed up and been like, listen here, boys. I'm Jesus. Like I was the main character. What's going on? This is foolish. And he did, he did call him out. <laughs> but he's saying, hey, 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 I'm right here. I'm right here. In fact, John 16, 7 says, Jesus told his disciples that it would actually be better if he would go so that the advocate, the Holy Spirit would come. And you and I have that same Holy Spirit and it will be impossible to recognize the activity of God unless you're, you've, accepted Christ to, to come into your heart and empower me with your Holy Spirit so I can see with eyes of faith and not fear. Have you ever been in church service, worship, even worship this morning? I was like, sometimes all the things that you're dealing with, you're like, I don't even care. Like I'm in the presence of the Lord. Everything else melts away and your heart's burning within you. Have you ever, have you ever since, have you ever since reading your Bible and it feels like the words are jumping off the page at you and you're like, whoa, your heart's burning within you. Your heart burns too. Or maybe even you listen to a sermon and you're like, oh, were they in my room last night? Did they hear me? Did they hear my conversation? How did they know? How did they know what's going on? We don't. The podcast you listen to at the gym on Monday morning, they don't know what you're going through. 
but the Holy Spirit does. And he can use anyone or anything. If you are attuned to recognize him, to speak a word, and your heart burns within you. Heart burns within you, and you know, man, this is this God. Why? Because you have the same Holy Spirit I have. It resonates. You're like, ah, yes, this sounds like my father. You know, I can remember right before Jeremy and I got married. I'm sorry, not married. Whoo, I'm fast forward and forward. Right before we, we met, I had had a series of disappointing relationships. Oh, you should meet this guy. He's so awesome. He loves Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, no, disappointment, right? Disappointment, disappointment, disappointment. And here I'm at this place, and I have tall walls, like a fortress around my heart at this point when he comes into view. And immediately, and don't, you know you've done this, men and women have done this, where you're like, um, and you will go into the friendship category. You've already figured it out in your head, right? So I did that. I was like, Jeremy, you are in the friendship category because no one is coming in here, right? And so that's where I put him. Well, if, if, you've, if you know anything about Jeremy, he is probably the most tenacious pursuer you will ever meet <laughs> once his eyes are fixed. <laughs> and he came after me, of course, and I was like, still like, you're in the friendship zone. So we have dinner and he lived near the beach. And so I can hear like the roaring waves crashing. I can see the moon, it's glaring. I can see the stars, it's gorgeous outside. And it is completely out of my character to say any cliche movie line ever. But I literally, the words coming out of my mouth are like, I've seen you in my future. <laughs> I was like, what did I just say? Let me get those back inside of my mouth. And he looks at me and he's like, he's like I've seen you in mine too. I know, I know, right? You know that had to be the Lord. What I didn't tell you is even in my friendship with him, I sensed something was different. I couldn't tell you what it was. <laughs> but I would pray, like, God, I don't know how to do this. I don't even know if I ever want to do this. Like, I need you to show me you have full permission. Take him out. Like, please do, actually. And no, you know what I got the opposite of? I got peace. I got a kindness that was familiar in some ways, and don't let this go to your head, babe. <laughs> he was like my dad. He was like my, the father, like Father God that I'd spent so much time with. Now, not everybody has that figure in your life, but can I tell you, the father, he has got all the great characteristics and qualities and it began to resonate with me, and the Lord began to speak, and, and it just was like one step after the other. In fact, Martin Luther King Jr. actually has a quote, take the first step in faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take a step. Well, that's what I did, and it gave me confidence, right? I'm trying to, I'm like recognizing there's no playbook. This is the one. I wish there was. It, Jeremy and I get questions all the time, as well as many, how do you know if it's the one? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But I do know this, if you'll stay close to the one who knows, you'll know his character, and you'll, when you see it, the Holy Spirit will resonate with you, and then you'll keep taking big steps without seeing the whole staircase, and you'll trust him, and you will grow on the inside. That's what I know, that's what I know. So how do you recognize the activity of God? Ask him to open your eyes. So. My husband recently challenged me to get a hobby. 
I'm a little passionate about, I'm very intense. I'm very mission focused. And so, you know, I don't have a lot of spare time, but he challenged me. He's like, hey, go, go do something fun. And I was like, okay, well, haven't picked up my racket in 20 years. And my racket, the kind of racket, someone actually pointed that out. I was like, oh, thank you. It's my first day back on the court. <laughs> and so I'm going out there and I got a lob in doubles. And so a lob is basically where the ball is coming up right at the net and it is perfect because you can whack it. You can smash this thing. It's like a volleyball spike. Those are my favorite. You don't get them all the time. And I am ready. I can see this ball coming, and I am like, I'm going to kill it. As it gets closer to me, I come, I miss that thing completely. There is no reason in the world I should have missed that ball. And then this little voice in my head reminded me. <laughs> when I went to the optometrist two weeks prior, she said, Mrs. Burroughs, the time has come in which your, your prescription is changing. And, um, and your eyes are not as strong as they were. And she's trying to basically tell me like, hey, things are going to get blurry when they get up close. <laughs> so you should get some reading glasses. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll deal with that when I have time. And I'm experiencing this at the tennis court and I can hear her voice and I'm like, how come I could see the ball really clear out here? But when it got right here, I completely whiffed it. Like I just did it. And I thought to myself, so much like the Lord. Sometimes we can see the activity of God way out here. We can see it in other people's lives. We can see it way out here. But sometimes we, our, our vision is blurry when it comes close. When you're in that conversation with your spouse, or the people close to you, or your kids, or your roommate, or your mom, or your dad, or your colleagues that are close, it's hard to see it. I tell you, God wants to shift our prescription. <laughs> He wants to tune in our eyesight so we can perceive what he's doing. Get on the offense, the offensive. Allow God to adjust our lenses. Do the work so that we can see clearly the activity of God when it comes close, church. So ask him Monday morning. Here's my challenge. God, let me see you. Let me see you in my relationships, in my friendships, in my work. Let me perceive it. It is the joy of my life to join you there. It will be the most fulfilling work I ever do. Thirdly, as I wrap, tell the good news. Tell the good news. Luke 24, 33 through 35. They got up. They returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when they broke bread. When they broke bread. It wasn't until an intimate encounter happened privately where they got to know and commune with him and then their eyes were opened and then they couldn't help but tell the world. They couldn't help but tell the world. In fact, it reminds me, since it's almost Christmas, according to my children, every day. The Elf movie, if you haven't seen it, we're happy to let you borrow it. We've watched it 1,000 times. I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. When we've spent time with Jesus, I'm in love, I'm in love. You need to know him. You need to know him. Luke 24, 49, at the end of the chapter, he says he's ascending to heaven. He's, he's appeared with the disciples. He's 
met them in their place of fear and doubt. He showed them their, his scars, and he says, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power on high. We cannot be his light without the power of the Holy Spirit, church. We need him helping us to be able to see clearly. And we also need him to help give us courage because that's what it's going to take. You know, when these disciples went back, they were going back to Jerusalem. And we know that the Romans were not fond of this man, Jesus. Neither were the religious Jews. And everybody was on, you know, they had their schemes going. We can't tell anyone. I hear rumors that he's going he's gonna to rise from the dead. So they were, they, it took a lot of courage for these guys to go back and tell, hey, Jesus is risen. May I submit to you today, it's going to require you some courage. It's going to require you some courage to be open about your faith when God gives you the invitation. It's going to require vulnerability. These men had to share their, they, remember, they're disciples. So they had to go back to the other disciples and say, hey, man, in a place of discouragement, I questioned if he was just a prophet. I questioned if he was even alive at all. Was he who he said he was? And then I heard the words coming out of my mouth and said, man, I'm discouraged. And then God opened my eyes and they exposed their weakness. They exposed where they missed the mark, where they didn't see God. How many times have you not seen God working in a situation that was discouraging? I have. I mean, like, God, I humble myself. Here, I, here, here they are in this place of vulnerability. In fact, Brene Brown, author and professor, researcher of shame research, she says, vulnerability is not winning or losing. It's having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. When we'll stop hiding our weaknesses, taking our mask off and saying, hey, you know what? I was discouraged too. But can I tell you, Jesus gave me hope. You may not be able Someone at work is not going to come up to you tomorrow and say, hey, I need Jesus. I have discovered he is the hope of the world. No, but you know what? There's a lot of discouraged people walking around. It doesn't take much to figure that out. Turn on the news. Everything between recession and inflation and wars. People are discouraged and they are shaken because there is no hope and anchor for their soul. We know that anchor, church. We know that anchor. So show up in those places of vulnerability. Man, I've been discouraged too. And as God gives you those invitations, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But God, he gave me hope. He met me in that place. The world's gonna tell you, fake it till you make it. I'm sorry, I don't see that in my Bible at all. Not even a little bit. You need to be vulnerable and courageous. That's attractive. Be wise. Be open to the spirit of God. Be yourself. He's your rear guard. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Jeremy talked about it last week. It is in those areas where we need God to comfort us, and he does. That becomes the testimony. That becomes the common ground that we're able to share this good news with others. You know, I've had multiple, multiple situations in which I am pretty planned. I'm pretty, eh, I call myself, I like planned spontaneity. I'll talk to you about what that means later. I like a little bit of unknown, but I like a lot of planned. 
And you know, the life I live is, a lot of it wasn't planned, a lot actually. And I walked that, I have walked the road of Emmaus and so have you, where we've questioned, God, where are you? Are you sure you're in that? What are you doing, Lord? And I've also been attacked with the lies. You're not good enough. You don't have what it takes. Who do you think you are? Do those sound familiar? And at every place, I've had a journal. I'm gonna put them on the ground if you can't see this. Where literally, it's paved the, the road for me. It doesn't have to be a journal for you, but I said, yes, God, I didn't recognize you when you were working in that, in that job or that circumstance. Yes, God, I didn't recognize you when that relationship door closed. Yes, God, I'm gonna lay down my life here because you've asked me to trust you. And these journals have paved the road of Emmaus for me and the same is true for you because the enemy also doesn't want you to get whole and healed and walk into your destiny. But I am here today to tell you, God wants you on the offense. He wants to give you a fresh and filling of the Holy Spirit today that you can talk to him when you're disappointed. And the true joy of the Lord will be your strength. And then he's gonna turn it all around for a testimony, <laughs> the other side. And you're gonna encourage other people to keep going the path. Church, Jesus is coming back for a spotless bride. Let's just not forget that. And he's coming back. It means we all are doing the work in our heart because it's both personal, profoundly personal and corporate. It's coming back for a bride who is the church. That's who we are. We all have our part to play in allowing God. You don't do the cleanup. He does. But you have a part to play and you got to invite him in. And you got to say, God, help me open my eyes and help me to take the invitations to share your good news with the world around me.